Good morning. <laughs> Our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus. Um, it's on page 58 in your pew Bibles. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 12. But first, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light for our path. So by your spirit, light our way as we read your word. Give us eyes to see all that you want us to see. Give us ears to hear all that you want us to hear. And give us hearts that might be opened and transformed at the reading of your holy word. In your son's precious name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. During those days, this is God's, God hears Israel's groaning. During those days, during those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Thank you, Phyllis. Last weekend, I was uh, in Dallas uh, helping with a friend's wedding from college. Uh, he was the most eligible bachelor I knew for many years, uh, Gabe Knapp, a great guy. Uh, a- after Trinity University, he went to uh, work for Arthur Anderson 
in Houston, Texas, where he was a CPA. Then he went on to get his MBA at Harvard. Then he worked for eBay, Microsoft, uh, Dell in Austin, and most recently has been working for Deloitte and Touche. And on top of all that, he loves the Lord, which is most important, right? So when he came back to Dallas to work for Deloitte and Touche while I was still at Highland Park Presbyterian Church, uh, he told me about his plight and how he hadn't met the right woman. And so I started trying to set him up on blind dates, but to no avail. Uh, I was never successful in helping him make a match. But as we were talking at the rehearsal dinner, many of us gave testimony about how we had all tried to set Gabe up on various dates and how we had all prayed for many, many years for Gabe to meet the right woman. And finally, Jenny came. And it was interesting, as Jenny was sharing about, uh, as her friends were sharing about Jenny, they also shared how they had been praying for many, many years for Jenny to find the right man. Isn't it great when God answers our prayers? We pray over a long period of time for something specific that a godly man might find a a godly woman, and now they're husband and wife. We were all celebrating together God's answer to our prayers. But sometimes God seems really slow in answering our prayers, doesn't he? I mean, I've been praying for Gabe 22 years to find a godly woman. That's a pretty long time. What are you praying for these days? How long have you been praying I know there were some Chicago Cub fans who were really excited last year when their prayers were answered. And after 108 years of futility, the Cubs finally won the World Series. It was a great celebration. And sadly, I also know that there are some Texas Ranger fans and Houston Astro fans who are still praying that their team might one day win the World Series, which reminds me of a story. There were two Texans in hell, and they were always singing joyfully, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Well, as Satan was doing his rounds, he heard these two Texans always joyfully singing and said, that is not appropriate. That's not the kind of singing we need in hell. We need gnashing of teeth. So he decided he was going to turn the heat up just a little bit higher so that the Texans would burn out and they'd become frustrated. So he, he turned the heat up even higher, higher and hotter than it's ever been in hell. But as he went around and doing his rounds again, there were those Texans, this time with their shirts off, singing at the top of their lungs, the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Well, Satan was very aggravated, and he said, how is it you can sing in the midst of such heat? And these two Texans said, well, we're from Houston, and man, it's just just like August in Houston. We love the heat. (laughs) Satan got an idea. Since these Texans are from Houston and not Amarillo, he decided rather than trying to burn them out, he was going to freeze them out. So he went to the thermostat, and he turned it down 15 below zero. These Houstonians had never experienced that kind of cold before, right? Not like we have here in Amarillo turns it down to 15 below zero, and he's doing his rounds, and this time, the two Texans are rejoicing as if they had just won the lottery, celebrating, hooping and hollering all over, and he said, what is it you could possibly be celebrating? I know it never gets this cold in Houston. Why are you so happy? And the Houston smiled and said, well, you're right, it never gets this cold in Houston, but now that hell has frozen over, we know the Astros have finally won the World Series. (laughs) When hell freezes over, those Astros will finally win the World Series. Sorry to all the Astro fans out there. I used to live in Houston. I know your pain. Sometimes it does feel like God is really slow in in answering our prayers. Prayers to find a spouse can go unanswered for years. Prayers for some of our good friends to come to know Jesus can seem to fall on deaf ears as our friends become even more resistant to discussions about faith. Prayers for healing from a chronic disease can often seem ignored as the pain and suffering continues year after year after year. 
My wife has a sister, an older sister named Catherine, who in high school was a state tennis champion with Alamo Heights High School in San Antonio. In high school, she was an excellent student and a great athlete. She went to Davidson for college for her first few years. In high school, she, she was beautiful. I've seen some of her pictures from high school. Uh, she was blonde hair, blue eyes, bronze skin. She looks like a model. I'm sure every boy in high school wanted to date Catherine Browning. But then while she was in college, she experienced some trauma, and she began to act out. Eventually, she was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. My wife's family has been <clears throat> praying for Catherine ever since she was diagnosed. They've tried so many different medications, hoping that this medication will help stabilize her thinking and allow her to be socially engaged, but none of them seem to work. With each new medication, we say a a new round of prayers, but none of them seem to be doing the job. She's a very confused woman. The last time I was actually in my in-law's house, she had confused me for an intruder in the middle of the day, and she tried to attack me. It was a very scary moment. She's very disoriented. She doesn't know who anyone really is. And the medicine doesn't seem to be making things any better. And so we pray. We pray, and we pray, and we pray. But she doesn't seem to be getting any better. What do we do when God seems to not answer our prayers? Why is God so slow in answering our prayers sometimes? In Exodus chapter 2, that Phyllis read just a moment ago, the people of Israel grumbled to God about their slavery in Egypt. And if you read Exodus closely, you'll see that they had to spend 400 years in slavery before God finally delivered them from their slavery. Why was God so slow in answering their prayers? What are we to do when God appears to be ignoring our prayers and not answering them the way we want him to? What are we to do when it seems like God is not answering our prayers. To find out, I would encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Luke, chapter 18. It may be found on page 1115 of your pew Bible. Luke, chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. But before I read God's Word, let's call upon His Spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that by your spirit you inspired Luke to put pen to paper, to write down a parable that no other gospel has, so that we might learn from the wisdom of this parable, that we might learn from the wisdom of the words of Jesus. God, we pray, and it sometimes seems like you're not hearing us, so Lord, I pray you'd help us to know what we're to do in those moments. Help us to see what we're to do in the midst of pain and suffering. And it seems like you're not hearing our prayers. Oh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1, listen to the word of the Lord. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said... In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps coming, bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will he not, will not God, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Here ends the reading of God's word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. This judge is most likely a a Gentile, a non-Jew, because a Jewish judge would fear God and respect man. This judge is most likely a, a pagan, Gentile, Roman judge who has great power. His power is so great that as a pagan, he doesn't worry about having to answer to God someday. And, and as a Roman, he doesn't really care what, what a Jewish widow might think. He, he's his own person. He's his own man. And he does what he wants to do because he has great power. In contrast to that, we read, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. In contrast to the powerful judge, there is this lowly widow who keeps coming to this unjust judge seeking justice. Now, why would a widow keep coming to an unjust judge for help? She must know that as a Jewish woman, she has very little chance of this pagan Roman Gentile judge of hearing any of her requests or caring at all at what she needs. Why does she keep coming to this unjust judge? I believe she keeps coming to the unjust judge because ultimately she has nowhere else to go. She's desperate. As a Jewish widow in the first century, she didn't have a lot of resources. Any inheritance or any property that her husband would have owned would have gone to the next of kin, not to her. And so she was desperate, having to rely upon the charity of others. In fact, in the first century, the least of these were the widows and orphans. That's why throughout the Bible, we're always told that true religion is this, those who care for widows and orphans. They are the least of these. They are the ones who need the most care. She did not have an a life insurance plan from her husband to help finance her life, or she didn't have a pension plan from her husband's work to help fund her. She was desperate. She needed help. And so she came to the only place where she might be able to find help, even though he was an unjust judge. She went to him because she was desperate. Ironically, in our 21st century American culture, We have so many places to go that when times of trouble come, we often go to other places rather than coming to the Lord first. When we feel depressed or upset, we'll turn on the television to be entertained or we'll we'll go on the internet to to find something joyful or something happy to see. It's interesting though, a study out of Sweden recently revealed that the, the more screen time we have, often the less sleep we get and that can lead to more depression actually rather than finding peace or happiness. When finances are tight and we're not exactly sure how bills are going to be paid, rather than going to God first, we often go to our own resources or we talk to friends or we try to figure it out ourselves rather than coming to the Lord. But if we believe what the scriptures say, that as Psalm 24 one, verse 1 tells us, that everything is the Lord's and all that he, he's made is his, then shouldn't we go to the Lord first for wisdom and how he wants us to take care of his resources? When we feel sick, We often only talk to God about our illness only after the medication doesn't seem to be working, rather than going to God first when we start to feel ill. 
What if we turn to God first when we feel depressed or anxious or sick? Why do we often turn to God last, as our last option rather than our first option? I believe we often turn to God last because if we're honest with ourselves, we're not always sure how God's going to answer our prayers or or when he'll answer our prayers or if he'll answer our prayers the way we want him to answer our prayers. When it comes to depression, anxiety, or illness, we want an immediate response, an immediate fix. We don't want to experience pain or hurt. And as we can see through Scripture, it's through pain that we ultimately grow. If you ever exercise, you know what I'm talking about. The first time you exercise, you know, you're lifting weights or you're running or jogging or whatever, and you're feeling tired and your muscles are sore that next day. But then the next time you go work out, it's just a little bit easier because your muscles have been able to to recoup and they've been able to get stronger. We grow through pain. No pain, no gain. But if we really want to grow in pain, we need to pray. Prayer is the way that God ultimately changes us and transforms us. As Richard Foster states in his Christian classic celebration of discipline. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. In prayer, real prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts after him, to desire the things he desires, to love the things he loves, to will the things he wills. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see that King David also goes through, often goes through this transformation. He'll begin his psalm with some very tough questions and challenging God and asking God, how long But then by the end of the psalm, a transformation has taken place as he's poured his heart out to God, and he ends his psalm with praise. Psalm 13 is an excellent example of this. In Psalm 13, verse 1 to 2, King David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David is tired of waiting on God's answer to his prayers. He's angry with God, and so he pours out his heart to God, saying, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David is angry. And in his honest prayer, real prayer, we should be willing to ask God the tough questions and say, How long, O Lord, will you allow me to suffer? How long? When will you deliver me? Notice, though, in Psalm 13, there's a transformation that takes place. David's heart and spirit, as he pours out his heart to God, and he makes his requests known to God. We read in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But, here's the big but. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Notice that the psalm actually ends in prayer. It begins with these tough, hard questions. God, how long? But then it ends in praise. As David turns his heart to God and he opens it up, he's reminded of God's power and God's salvation and ultimately of God's faithful deliverance. Authentic, open prayer moves us to praise God. Because as we address God, we're reminded of God's power, reminded of God's deliverance, provision, and ultimate salvation. Jesus actually tells the parable of the persistent widow after answering a question by Pharisees about what it's going to be like when the kingdom of God finally comes. 
And Jesus explains to him that on that final day, when the Son of Man is revealed to all of creation, he says it's going to be a lot like, well, like the day of Noah. In the day of Noah, people were eating and drinking and dancing and not paying attention to God. But then there was Noah who was praying and faithfully following God. And the floods came and Noah and his family were saved, but everyone else was destroyed because they weren't paying attention and praying to God. Jesus goes on to say it's a lot like Lot. In the days of Lot, in the city of Sodom, people were dancing and and reveling and and, and, and participating in all kinds of sinful ways, ignoring God. But, But Lot was faithful. And God visited Lot, and Lot knew to leave the city of Sodom before it was destroyed. And Jesus lets us know that we need to be praying. We need to be ready for when the Son of Man comes. Because prayer ultimately transforms us, and it makes us aware of what it is God is up to, so that we might participate in God's holy work. The Westminster Shorter Catechism explains prayer this way. What is prayer? Question 98. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Ultimately, we want to pray God's will because we know God's will is good. God's will is good for us. We know that from the cross of Christ that God loves us and he he sent his son to die for us. And if God loves us that much, then his will for us, it must be good. Expounding on the Westminster Shorter Catechism, Tim Keller, the pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, writes this. When we pray, rather than simply running down a quick list of things we want, we should reflect on what we want in light of all we know from Scripture about the things that delight and grieve God. In light of what we know about how his salvation works and what he wants for the world. As we think about all that the scripture teaches, we can see that God is good. God is love. He he loves us so much that in spite of our sin, he sent his one and only son here to this earth to pay the price for our sins with his death on our cross. And then the third day, he, he conquered sin and death on our behalf when he rose again. Yes, this is a good God who loves us a great deal. And so if God loves us that much, then, well, then we should pray for his will to be done because it's better than anything we could possibly want. The point that Jesus is trying to make in this parable is that if if an unjust judge is willing to give justice to a poor Jewish widow who persistently prays, how much more will our loving God give justice to all of us when we cry out to him? How much will our loving God who gave his own son for our salvation want to do good for us, to, to do goodwill, have his goodwill done in our lives? Tim Keller goes on to explain it this way when he talks about prayer. He says, in short, God will give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything. If we know all that God knows, then when we come to God and we ask for his will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, he will give us good things for his kingdom to come. We ask for God's reign to be made known in and through our lives. Yes, we come to God and we continue to come to God because we know God is good. And even though he doesn't answer our prayers in the time that we want or the ways that we want, because a day to God is like a thousand years to us, we read in 1 Peter, we know that God is ultimately good and he's going to deliver us. He's going to save us. We can see that in the cross and the empty tomb. His will is for our good. But what about my sister-in-law? 
who has schizoaffective disorder. Wouldn't God be glorified if he healed her? I mean, we would tell everyone, the medication, we, we tried it all, it didn't work, but man, God healed her. It was miraculous. To God be the glory. I would write a book about that and tell everybody. Wouldn't God be glorified? I mean, as I read the scriptures, isn't that what God wants? We read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Whatever we do, do it all to the glory of God. Isn't that what God wants to be glorified? If she was healed, he would be glorified. Why doesn't he heal my sister-in-law? I don't know why God doesn't heal Catherine. I wish he would. But I do know that the more we pray for Catherine, the more we love her. I know that my kids pray for their Aunt Catherine more than any other relative. Every time we take prayer requests as a family, my little boy John at seven years old says, let's make sure and pray for Catherine that God would heal her. She needs to be healed. And so we all pray. And our heart is turned to God and our heart is warmed to our sister-in-law, Catherine. I don't know why God hasn't healed Catherine yet. But I do know that through our prayers, we have come to love Catherine more and more. And we now have a, a deeper sensitivity to those who struggle with mental illness. I don't know about you, but in my life, as I go through pain, if I will pray... God will use that pain to grow me and to make me more compassionate to the sufferings of others. And isn't that what God wants? For us to be more compassionate, to love our our neighbors, ourselves, to love people unconditionally, sacrificially, as, as Jesus has first loved us. The next time we feel that God isn't answering our prayers... Jesus tells us we need to keep praying. We need to pray persistently as that widow prayed day and night. As you read in, in Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who, who, who uh, meditates on God's word both day and night. And if you're not exactly sure how to pray, the Lord's prayer is a great prayer. But so are the Psalms. If you've never done it before, I would encourage you to, to walk through the Psalms, to take a Psalm each day. Now, admittedly, Psalm 119 is kind of long. You might want to divide that up over a few days. But read a Psalm a day and make that your prayer. Two of my favorite devotionals, are one is by Tim Keller. It's called The Songs of Jesus. Basically, he takes a different Psalm and you read the Psalm and then he has a little thought about that Psalm and how it relates, relates to Christ. And then he has a closing prayer. Or Martin Luther, the great reformer, has a study, a devotional guide on on the Psalms. Use one of these tools to help you journey through the Psalms so that God might use this school book of prayer to teach us how we can pour our hearts out to a God who wants to hear our pain and our anger and our frustration. And ultimately, he wants to turn that to comfort and peace and praise as we pray to a God that we know as we look at the cross of Christ and the empty tomb, We pray to a God that we know will save us and deliver us. King David writes, after pouring out his heart to God and his frustration and his anger, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. God's love is, it endures forever. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. We see the salvation that Christ came to bring in his death and his resurrection. Yes, I will sing to the Lord 
because he has dealt bountifully with me. Our God has dealt so bountifully with us in the cross of Christ. Let's pray. Gracious, we, loving God, we don't always understand that when we cry out to you in prayer and our pain and our anxiety and our fears and our worries and our sufferings, that you don't alleviate that always right away. David's circumstances didn't necessarily change right away as he prayed to you, but and yet, as he pours out his heart to you, and we know that as we pour our heart out to you, you remind us of your power, you remind us of your grace, you remind us of your salvation. You remind us of your deliverance that comes at the cross of Christ, that comes at the empty tomb. Oh God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ we know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. That one day you'll bring a new heaven and a new earth. Well, there'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, only praise. So Lord, help us to cry out to you as that persistent widow did each and every day. So you might turn our grieving and our pain and our suffering. You might give us your peace so that it might turn to praise. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your son who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen.